Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. This episode is one part of my hour-long NPR show heard every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it has broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, everything your dog wants you to know, as well as the Cat Bible, everything your cat expects you to know, because I care about people who care about cats, dogs, and other creatures who share our planet. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival and the New York Cat Film Festival, which travel America and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. I could not bring you this show without the support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who's created a variety of litters to please any cat, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also made possible with the generous sponsorship of Waruva, the Foreman family-owned pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. Peter Abrahams is back with another pun title of a Chet and Bernie mystery. This one is called Bark to the Future. And it really is like the movie Back to the Future in a way because it's a time machine kind of story. Peter Abrahams is actually Spencer Quinn when he's writing these amazing Chet and Bernie mysteries. Peter, what a cool and clever idea you had of going back to high school to figure out a mystery. Did you go to a high school reunion? Is that I, I thought, is this where Peter got the, the sort of genesis of this book? <laughs> Did you go to a high school reunion and think, hey, what if one of these people... I don't know, had a MacGuffin. It's not really a MacGuffin. It's more like the uh, the, the Maltese Falcon, a, a very interesting knife that finds its way through the entire book. Did you have a high school reunion experience that inspired this? I've never been to a high school reunion. I have been to college reunions, but they, they, didn't, inspi- they didn't inspire this exactly. I just, um, the idea you know, that Bernie, who's the detective, would encounter a former classmate years ago. And this classmate, Rocket Luca, was a, a star baseball player who, you know, made a game-saving catch when Bernie was on the mound. So it sounds kind of trivial, but nothing like that was trivial back in high school days. Right? That's right. Those, those They reverberated through the halls. And, and, um, and now, so Rocket, who was this superb, sweet-footed athlete and Bernie and Chet, Chet's the dog who tells the story, are, you know, driving up an exit ramp and there's, you know, this down-and-out man with a cardboard sign and missing teeth and in terrible shape, you know, um, you know, begging. And Bernie, of course, is going to give him money and this man said, I'm not going to take money from you, Bernie. Now that, um, so he knew Bernie, but Bernie, you know, didn't realize who it was. It was Rocket Saluka, but so changed from when Bernie had known him. Okay, so that was the beginning, and it didn't. It, well, I didn't. Nothing happened to me at a college reunion. I wasn't the down and out guy, and I 
No, I, I know you weren't the type. down and out guy. Okay, so if nothing happened at a high school reunion, high school is much more interesting than college. Because as you say, the things that happen in high school, people talk about for the rest of their life. College, I think, that is kind of some sort of a hybrid of a little bit of real life, a little bit of your slightly grown up. It doesn't have the intensity of high school. So did you ever imagine what if a panhandler turns out to be someone you went to high school with? Then what? Dot, dot, dot. Well, I, I imagined it when I – so I began writing the book, and that was what – that was the sort of only thing I knew about it. So that idea that the panhandler – that he had known this panhandler, that's the, that just came to me out of the blue. It wasn't based on any experience, Tracy. It was just, I think, it was out for one of my bike rides, and that popped into my mind. And, and it, you know, sometimes you get an idea, and it's, you know it's okay. You know it's good, um, that it's rich. And, and then just everything you just said about the intensity of high school, and, I mean, you're right about that. And I sort of, I hadn't thought that much about it, but as I wrote the book, it all it all came out. And I... I'm not even sure why. I, I think part of it is the age, not as grown up. You're still living at home. Yep. You're being pulled in a lot of ways. It's really your first time where you're a little bit on your own and really seeing, uh, you know, what a pecking order can can be like, and and a bit what people are like too. And and I, it, it is intense. And then of course, you know, I, I I left out the hormonal part, and that's pretty intense too. So I wanted to, uh, in other words, the idea, so this, but it's almost like a black box. And then when Bernie starts looking at it and because he's searching for rocket and it leads him back to Chisholm high school, all this took place and there are all these different people there and they've gone on to other lives, but something as very dark happened in the past while Bernie was at high school and he was totally unaware of it and he That's was unaware right. of many of, of what was going on so it's it, he actually i think to an extent comes to understand his you know his own teenage years a little better among a lot of other things and i think that in in us following the story which is told by chet the dog 100 percent told by chet so following the story with a chet and bernie mystery is always a very convoluted because they're going to meet somebody, and the first thing Chet talks about is what they smell like and what they act like and how it reminds them of somebody else who smelled or acted like that. And then maybe they have some beef jerky in their pocket. So you're like, okay, okay, I want to make sure I'm following the story because Chet has yet again, in a most charming, adorable, very dog-like fashion, gone off in the weeds. And he's always sort of cluing on to human language and um, kind of catchphrases like uh, – well, anything at all that, you know, something is sort of a ratty bathrobe. And he thinks, well, I don't know, was a rat involved? All the time he's picking up on language things. And it's pretty adorable because it makes you stop to think, yeah, we do use a lot of phrases that if the dogs spoke our language, he would not understand what we were talking about. But I think it, it makes us all kind of think, gosh, high school, what if we were to keep encountering people from then while trying to maybe put together, I don't know, even a party list as opposed to find a missing homeless guy and figure out this very exotic switchblade knife, which is a kind of Maltese falcon that's throughout yes, the entire yeah. book and and is part of the dark past. What would we all think? I think that it's kind of inspirational to make you think, wow, and all these people, remember, 
that Bernie was a really good pitcher. It's amazing. And I think, really? And I think, yeah, probably. Probably people really do remember the guy that was going to go to the majors but never went. I mean, did you ha know anybody like that when you went to school, someone who was a great athlete? I mean, I, yes, I've known some great athletes who, you know, didn't, you know, end up playing professionally, but who were really good. And you could see the difference right away. And it was, I, it's a, in high school, it's a wonderful thing to be if you have that gift. Yes. I think um, it may be not as much now, but uh, yes, I, I think at, in those days it was obvious it was way better to be a great athlete than the smartest kid in the school. Oh, yeah. They was just... Yeah, it was the, the best pole, thing it was, ever. It was, I think it still yeah, is. I think we was, have a culture that glorifies sport and, and thinks that, that nothing could be more glorious for a 16-year-old than to be picked by a major league, anything, baseball, maybe not so much soccer yet in America, but certainly in other countries, or basketball or football, even though we know how short-lived those careers are, and then what do they do? Become mm -hmm. car salesmen, you know, in a country where there's no cars to sell. But there is a glorification, and you keep seeing it through the book. And, of course, the dog wasn't there when Bernie was in high school, so yeah. he's just learning about all these things as it goes along. I think what would be really fun is to have you read a passage that I picked out just to give this really great sense of Chet's voice, and those people who already know Chet and Bernie Mysteries, they know this voice. But it's really fun when you read it because you you could you're very good at sounding like Chet, but of course you've had a lot of practice. So you want to you want to set up this this little section and talk about who Trixie well, is too? Yes, I will. Thanks for picking this passage too. You're so good at this. Um, this has although this has nothing to do with high school. Um, this has to do with sort of their living situation. So Trixie is a, also a dog and she belongs to, if we can say that Weatherly, who's a police sergeant in the Valley police department. And she and Bernie are romantically attached Yes, uh, and have been for a couple books in the series. So I think that's all you read to re really need to know. Okay. Have you ever noticed that one bothersome thing is often followed by others? For example, the way Trixie had her tail held up so high, so high and mighty. What could I do but hold my own tail up even higher and mightier? That made a difference right away, and I was just about back to my normal self when Trixie went by in that light-footed way of hers that always reminds me of how fast she is. Not as fast as me, amigo. Don't go thinking that for one second. Still, it was another annoyance although not even the worst one. The worst annoyance was that aroma I detected on her breath, the aroma of a slum gym, one of a kind and unmistakable. How had she gotten hold of a slim gym? The slim gyms in our house had been kept in many places, me finally settling on the meat compartment in the fridge. I've taken a number of swings at opening the fridge door, none successful so far. Was it possible Trixie had done what I, whoa, I didn't want to go there. And then came a really hideous thought. Some time ago, I'd managed to corral a Slim Jim on a little neighborhood excursion of my own that, well, the details aren't important. In fact, I'd forgotten the whole episode, including the most important part, namely that I'd hidden that Slim Jim in the, in the, oh, please, where, where, where? <laughs> then it hit me in the living room. 
in that dark folly space behind the TV, a tangle of cobwebs and cables, the perfect hiding place. I ran into the house, down the hall, perhaps hearing Weatherly say, what's with him? And perhaps not. Into the living room, around the TV, and, and my Slim Jim was gone. I faced the living room wall, motionless, doing pretty much nothing. Pretty much nothing except, why Trixie? I had no answer to that question. All I knew was that Trixie was out of control. Had things started that way? Far from it. We'd rescued Trixie from a cave or abandoned mine, me and Bernie. So far, a normal day at the little detective agency. Then it turned out Trixie had been kidnapped from Weatherly. Was that how Weatherly came into our life? When did normal begin to slip away? All I know is that Weatherly loved us for finding Trixie. No problem there, I suppose. The problem is that Trixie and I, this is from what I've heard, not really seeing it myself, look alike. Why would anyone think such a thing? Just because our coats are the same shiny black, except for one white ear? Didn't my being so much, or at least somewhat bigger, count for anything? One little irritation was another fact, namely that aside from the sheenness of her scent and the heinous of mine, they were rather similar. But who knew that, other than Trixie and me and every single member of the nation within? Certainly not Bernie or Weatherly. So how had they arrived at the strange idea that Trixie and I must have been puppies together? Strange and unacceptable. I mean, it really is, uh, I think, uh, uh, yes, you're right. I think I chose a really good example. Just how nuts Shed is. I consider him nuts because he's just all over the place. He has this brain that's just like a like a pinball machine, boing, 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 boing. And he's all over the place. And it's so adorable. And you're, you try to follow the thread. And then, the you know, the, the steel ball is going up and going down and being hit by flippers. The nation within. I mean, talk about how he describes dogs as the nation within a nation. Yes, well, that's Bernie. Bernie uses that expression to describe the dogs. And that, in, in our country, because one day I read somewhere, and actually you'd know way more about than I would, that there were upwards of 70 million dogs in this country. And so Bernie thinks of them as the nation within the nation, or just for short, the nation within. And so... <laughs> This I love. Okay, for so this and I didn't think that up. That sort of just came to me through Bernie. But when you apply that, if if we have two nations here, and so high school is part of you know our nation, the human nation. But when you put the perceptions of Chet and this other nation and super, you know, use that as your sort of investigatory tool to look at high school, all sorts of well odd things happen because when you filter it through. Chet's mind, the whole high school um, totem pole gets switched around in terms of, you know, who's good and who's bad. And so as Bernie sees, begins to see some of these people from long ago who were involved in this bad thing that happened, such as the chemistry teacher, right. you know, his take is adjusted a little bit. But Chet's, we, through Chet's eyes, we see actually much quicker than Bernie where what some of these people are really like. Just through what you were saying before, Tracy, like the smell or the yeah. sound of their voice or something, you know, sneaky that they do, the kind of sneaky thing, you know, that a dog that you can't get away with when you're dealing with a dog. Well, not but a dog this people. smart. I mean, there may be dogs that don't notice every single thing that people yes. are looking at or where their eyes are going or the timber of their voice of a stranger. He's pretty darn good at it. 
And I guess the well, fact he's a trained professional. He's a I trained mean, professional, and constantly yes. Bernie introduces himself as my partner, straight faced. It's yes. pretty adorable. I mean, people are well, like he went the to dog. School, yes, the dog. I'm sorry. Oh, that's right. He flunked yes. out. That came up at one point. He flunked out of canine yeah. school, but it was on the last day, so he'd really had the full program. Yeah, he was he was meant to be in a cop car. So instead, he's in the fancy wheels, which they refer yes. to as the beast because. Bernie's a bit of a car fattest, isn't he? Well, this is, I believe in this book, they're dry. Okay, they, all, the only car they drive are old Porsches. Right. And uh, so far in the series, three of them have been wrecked in, in different ways. So this Bark to the Future actually starts with, um, you know, getting this new, it's the oldest one they've ever had. So they get this new oldest car and um, it's painted in sort of black and white stripes, but rippling. And, and so Bernie thinks of it almost as a some creature rippling its muscles. So that's why they call it the beast. And it's the most powerful one they've ever had. As I said, he's a car fattest, Bernie. Yes, he's yes. a car fattest. Yeah, yeah, yeah which is, is good. Yeah. I mean, you have, to, you have to have your fads to get through the day. Well, it's a wonderful story because, and we're, we're running out of time, but the switchblade, is the big clue that goes through it and the number of people who are shown the switchblade and the broken tip. And then there's one or more dead people and what was their connection to the switchblade and a homeless encampment behind a church, which is a wonderful part of the story, very touching and very uh, contemporary. Certainly certainly makes you think twice about the people in there, including the guy who says, when I was at MIT, when he comes out of his little tent, it's like, yeah, he mm -hmm. probably was at MIT. A lot of people that are homeless, you know, have all kinds of reasons to be homeless, and they could be, you know, tomorrow's astrophysicist if only they'd had whatever is missing in their life. You did a great job, Peter. We've run out of time, but Bark to the Future by oh, Spencer well, Quinn, you. another really, really fun and lively and diverting Chet and Bernie mystery. Thank you for being here again, Peter. My pleasure, Tracy. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. There are a few more very special companies that make this show possible, and I hope you will support their support of my mission to entertain and educate. Merrick Pet Care, which began as a family-run company in Texas 30 years ago, is still making natural pet food I feed my own dogs. They also provide nutrition to pet shelters in Chicago and Texas and free food for the service dogs for veterans from Canines for Warriors. Cradle, which makes CBD calming products to reduce stress for dogs using broad-spectrum CBD from U.S.-grown hemp formulated with a proprietary blend of nutraceutical ingredients. My Wanda Weimaraner couldn't get through thunderstorms without their cradle melts. Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creates holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition and makes innovative foods like the hybrid dog food, Wisdom, which sometimes is all that Maisie Hotchner will eat. Evermore Pet Food, which is privately owned by two extraordinary women who cook dog food from the most pristine human edible ingredients and ship it to your door in frozen pouches. It's higher quality and more ethically sourced than my own food. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this shorter version of Dog Talk and Kitties 2 and will listen to other episodes sometime soon. <laughs>